Welcome to another episode of Undisciplined, a collaborative podcast between the African and African American Studies program at the University of Arkansas and KUAF. The podcast provides a holistic understanding of complex issues that affect our interconnected world. Taking the interdisciplinary approach of African and African American Studies to the classroom, into the community, onto the airwaves, and beyond. I am your host, Dr. Karee Banton, and for this fifth season, I have a new co-host. Nenevi Tony. Now let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of Undisciplined, and today we have a really interesting and important part of the Black Studies curriculum that is not usually highlighted, so we're happy to be highlighting it today. Now, when student activists uh, were advocating for social justice and self-determination, you know, on their college campuses, you know, most notably in San Francisco and University of Virginia, where the early Black Studies programs started, their aim was multifaceted. They wanted to increase Black student enrollment and faculty diversity. They wanted to establish robust institutes and departments and colleges for Black studies or involving the the involvement of black practitioners and, and, and black subjectivities and, and, and black ways of thinking of the world, right? And these educational initiatives, you know, through them, they were trying to equip students for not only intellectual engagement across diverse fields, which has been the focus of our podcast, right? Looking at things like law, looking at medicine, looking at... Um, history and sociology and English, but also looking at community organizing, right? Um, The original objective of Black Studies, African American Studies, Africana Studies, whatever you may call it, encompassed this multifaceted mission. It wanted to inspire individuals to dwell deeper, not only in the histories, but also in our contemporary social structures, affecting people of Africa and the diaspora, offering them diverse ways of examining the ways in which we live in our our current realities. It aimed to not only sustain, but to cultivate black culture as this source of influence on the world, right? And to, in doing so, to kind of push back on anti-black racism. Now, the educational objectives of Black Studies, as it was crafted in the 60s when it was being um, created, went beyond academic study. They wanted to uh, establish autonomous spaces for defining and practicing um, intellectual self-determination, right? Not only on campus, but in societies, in our community at large. Right. And so I've developed this term called community, where the community and the university come together to think about our social issues, where the ivory tower is not thinking about issues in isolation to the communities that they're working to solve it, that the communities also have ways of solving these issues that by engaging in the university, they can also join forces. 
And if I draw up on my own personal experience, um, transitioning from a student to an educator um, in uh, and, and now director of black studies, you know, these kinds of uh, ped- uh, pedagogical contributions have largely influenced me. All of it, not just the intellectual sides and the theories and whatnot, but also community work, right? So um, my personal journey in, in academia underscores the transformative potential of this field, especially from the framework of community and and to highlight how black studies is not just an academic discipline, but a means of empowering individuals to construct a more equitable world. And so that is why we are very delighted to have with us today Mr. Ron Harris. Mr. Harris has been a leadership coach for high school, college, and professional athletes. He counsels them in character and life skill development. He has uh, created an organization called A Level Up, which is a 5013C nonprofit organization focusing on multicultural approach to help who at risk youth in Springdale and beyond. And he has taken a strategic family approach to serving Pacific, Pacific Islanders, Hispanic, and African American populations that they can help students discover and launch their dreams through leadership training, career development, mentoring, and community service. So we are so happy that this aspect of Black Studies, the community aspect, is on display today. Mr. Harris, welcome to On Discipline. Well, thank you for having me today, Doctor. I so appreciate being here, and I've followed you as a student, and now you leading the program uh, in African American Studies is um, a tribute to your hard work and your continued effort to continue to spread the good word. Hello, Mr. Harris, welcome. Hello, thank you also for having me here. You've got a great staff and it's been great being able to connect with both of you and your class um, as we forge together to build a partnership to help impact the community. All right, so let's get into it. What made you want to become a motivational speaker? Um, well, before I move forward, I want to just thank um, just being on this undisciplined show, this, this podcast is, is really a highlight of my year. Um, and so I just want to say thank you for allowing me to be here. Um, to answer the question, here. <laughs> um, to answer the question specifically, um, what caused me to be a motivational speaker was attributed to the life that I've lived, uh, the struggles I've been through, um, the issues in which shaped me as a person and the calling that I have on my life is what thrusted me forward to become a motivational speaker. That is so fascinating. And you see this so often with, um, you know, there's a song that says, he who feels it knows it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you feel it, you know it. And so people who learn from that, they go on to want to create. You know, I have this idea. It's two different, two kinds of people, the people who have experienced hardship, and then they mm-hmm. go on to want to create a better world for people. And then there are people who experience hardship and they want to be like, I want to yeah. be on the side that yeah. I want to make sure that I'm doing well. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so you say hard times create 
hard men and hard men create soft times. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. So Mr. Harris, that is certainly um just so fascinating that you've used your life experiences to be influencing these young people out there in the community. Can you tell me about you know any of your experiences going around in the community doing motivational talks where you felt the audience really connected with what you were talking about what you've been through and and try to rise to that level to make the changes you want to see when when it comes to social change um i do think that people want to be or hear from someone that has gone through similar things and when i moved to springdale over 30 years ago um the climate was different Oh dear, tell us about Springdale 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I I would say that I was ahead of my time. Mm. Um I'm from St. Petersburg, Florida, having lived through some of the social issues of my own personal life which has developed the life story for myself. I felt like I stepped back in time, but I was prepared for the moment. And so as I met people, then I think I was on the front edge of change. and i knew how to handle the moment um meaning there weren't very many african americans in this northwest arkansas community 30 years ago mm. um but i had been taught by a, a mother who was really who looked through multicultural lenses being from st petersburg florida everybody comes to st petersburg from every other part of the world and so i would say that my background and my mother who raised uh me we uh, she was divorced at 5 years old when i was 5 years old um really exemplified what true love was all about and so when i moved here 30 years ago it it was extremely difficult but i had been taught how to meet the challenge and so um with love i came here and with love it continues to open the door to make um a better world for people that we meet and specifically connecting with them what i've learned with hispanics and with marshallese love is the equitable multicultural language that penetrates the hearts and connects with anybody from any culture mm-hmm. so what was what was springdale like can you paint a picture of that for us and you know what were the specific experiences and skills that you were taken from St. Petersburg to address those issues and the diverse community that you would encounter in Springdale. Well, specifically, um I mean the Springdale as a community dealt with a lot of racism. Um and there weren't too many years ago that it would there was a sign that was said that you don't let the dark don't don't let the you know, if you're African American, don't let the dark catch you outside. Yeah, cuz this in uh, Springdale was a sundown town, wasn't it? It was a sundown it was a sundown town. Um and that when we moved here, that sign had just been removed. Oh wow. And so, um the the great thing about the community, however, I came to work at the University of Arkansas with the Arkansas Razorbacks. Mm-hmm. So, what I found was, yes, there may have been some symbols of racism, but sports and music closes the gap quickly and me being a high school college athlete uh working with athletes at the University of Arkansas regardless of color I found that that was really a a barrier breaker for me mm-hmm. so I came here specifically to work at the University of Arkansas 
to mentor and guide student athletes here on campus. And having not had really a proper introduction to culture, and I'm glad I didn't before I came because I probably wouldn't have come. But I found that the Razorback brand superseded race, color, and creed. Hmm. So when you first moved here, what was the most difficult part of your job when you moved here and then you were, you were faced with something you were not expecting because you didn't know what you were going to expect, right? What was the most difficult aspect of that, especially in relation to your job? Um, my responsibility was to mentor athletes and build culture and community. Oh, wow. Um, what, what I didn't, what I didn't understand is, and there's no way that you could understand what a sundown town was. Um, I'm from St. Petersburg, Florida, where we had sun up and sun all around, you know, it was a sunshine state. So from, and and then from a, a, a practical, you know, from a cultural and a, a character-based community, a faith-based community where I came from, you know, spiritually, it, it was extremely accommodating. Um, and I came here and I, I kind of was jolted into the reality of not just racism, but denominationalism. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I had to adjust to people accepting people just because they're people, not because of where they went to church or that kind of thing. And so I had to, that from, from that, that probably was the biggest adjustment versus the racial. It was more of the spiritual adjustment. Um, I had dealt with the issues of race when I was at home. Um, I went to college at Copiah Lincoln Junior College in Western Mississippi. So I came from Florida to Mississippi to Missouri, Springfield, Missouri, to Northwest Arkansas. So I had almost a tour of the Deep South and the Midwest. And so when I got here, um, there's a different aspect of, of dealing with race because there weren't very many Black people that lived here, mm-hmm. number one. And number two, learning the history of what happened here in Northwest Arkansas and Southwest Missouri uh, when it came to the Trail of Tears, when it came to... Uh, uh, slaves being transported from Northwest Arkansas through 412 to Springfield, Missouri. And so learning that corridor and learning about the history of this area and learning down just the cultural barriers of just learning about a person that was Af- African-American descent or Indian descent um, and, and, and really educating people on, on specifically what it meant to be a person who just was born to be a difference maker, specifically um, dealing with people of denominations who had dealt with racism and really educating them on the fact that there's no way that you can actually be a Christian or follow Christian values and be a racist. That is and interesting. So, some, so, so having multiple dialogues really came to the crux of the fact that many people had never had a conversation, never had a conversation with someone of African descent, African-American descent. And number two, the implications of what it meant to truly love people. So when I said I felt like I stepped back in time, I had dealt with those issues previously in Mississippi and in Southwest Missouri. So coming here was 
surely preparatory, but I felt like I stepped back in time and had to re-educate and re-engage people around the idea of what true love really meant. That's interesting that you bring that up because, you know, I, I sit at the feet of James Baldwin and he has this very powerful quote about most people try to avoid love because love involves the terrors of life. And, you know, it, he was by that he was saying that love takes off the mass that we fear mm -hmm. we cannot live without mm -hmm. and know we cannot live within, mm -hmm. right? you know? Mm -hmm. And what people, mm -hmm. that we've lived in a society in which people hide behind these masks because it mm -hmm. keeps them safe, you know? And right, we fear right. we yes, cannot live. It involves you having to reach out to other people. Yes, behind that, you come out yeah. of your comfort zone. Yeah, because putting some work and yes. work makes people uncomfortable. Yes, we have to come out from behind the comfort zone and we know we cannot live free within those masks, you know. Yeah. I can, um, you know, Baldwin again talks about that racism not only affects black people or minoritized people or people who are you know, minoritized, but it affects white people too. Yeah. Can you imagine if you've been taught by racism about, say, Africans, and you never get to eat jollof? <laughs> you right. know what you might be missing yeah. in life. You've been taught about sure. Haitian people and voodoo, and it might prevent you from trying a Haitian mango or a Haitian food, or you know, interacting yeah. with somebody who can move even, your world. Even as, as, outside of the food, whenever you, if you're a black person who has been taught to hate white, uh, yeah, white person have been taught to hate black people. Anytime you see a black person, the emotional tour you go through personally. You know the fear that comes over your body yeah. because you're in that mess and you know you with you know looking at the world from within the security of that mask covers you from something that could really stretch and develop your life so that 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 idea of like helping people especially religious people but also people in the university where we so much focus on the brain and learning mm -hmm. that kind of a thing but that component of love and building community through through love might not be a very big part of the curriculum, but is so very important and necessary. So, Mr. Harris, how are you able to build community? You didn't even have BT at that time. You talked to these football <laughs> players, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you didn't have VH1. You know, I've heard that a number of times. That thirty years ago, you know, people can recall the day that they got BT on the on yeah. the package. I mean, <laughs> people recall the first time they saw Michael Jackson There's on TV. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but up here in Northwest Arkansas, how do you build community? What did you try to do? How did you try to connect these people well that that's what's really amazing is that my mother laid a blueprint for me um and she did it when i was very young and she made me some business cards <laughs> and at the bottom of the business card was bb uh n o l okay bb n o l and i'm like I'm like, okay, so who who does that, number one? And it didn't make sense. And she said, son, I'm going to teach you something about the rest of your life. And I want to put it on the bottom of this card. It's your first business card. And I'm saying to myself now, and she didn't, she just gave them to me, but she allowed me to become inquisitive. And I began to ask her over and over and over and over again. And initially she wouldn't tell me because she wanted me to be, um, 
engage in this conversation about this business card. And she said, at the bottom of this card, it says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Hmm. And I'll, I'll never forget that because that became the foundation of my life. And then she went on to, in our community, which was a majority African-American um, and some Hispanic, but probably 99% African-American. Um, we grew up with our cousins and our family within our culture. We all lived together in low-income uh, housing. Um, and so um, she made a life-changing decision. She had her first child when she was 12 years old. And so, and then upon that, she had, you know, four that she had, we adopted two other kids into our family. So there were five of us. And so it was also in the context of a father who was very racist. My father was, he hated black people. He hated white people. And I, he, he hated everybody, really. Um, and I found out that he was beaten by a white man at 12 years of age and left. Really? And so, yes. And so now that was way before then. And so then I don't know how my mother and father met, but my mother left of everybody on the planet. And my father hated everybody, specifically white people, because he was beaten by a white man at 12 years of age. And so I had to make a choice in my life, whether I would, we would have dinner, we would have white people over to our house for dinner. And then when they left, my mother got beaten physically because she brought someone white to our home. Ooh. And so I thought that was very confusing that would be cussing and yelling and screaming just about dinner. I'm five years old. I'm like, what in the world's going on here? So how could a dinner turn into a beating? And so I had to make a decision in my life early on at six years old, five years, six years of age, if I was going to choose hate or choose love. And because I saw that love brought peace, I chose love. Mm. And at a very early age, I chose that I was going to take love to be um, the, 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 the roadmap to success for my life. So... Coming here, I made that decision. Coming here, I just decided to love regardless because I lived in a home where there was both hate and love. And I then learned that white people and people of other ethnicities needed to show that love. And I, it came to a point when I was in high school, I was walking to school because we, we had then moved from an all-black community to an all-white community to a better school district because my mother wanted a better life for us. And one day... I was thrown, had bottles thrown at me. I was cussing, had the N-word yelled at me. And I came home and I asked my mom, I said, how in the world did we move all the way to this white community? People don't like us. Mm -hmm. They don't like me. And I'm, I'm sick and tired of getting ridiculed just for being black. Right. And my mother said this to me. Another thing she said, she said, son, they just don't know you yet. Hmm. And so... Um, on those very streets that I was yelled at, bottles thrown at, paper thrown at, cussed at, I began to train and run on those same tracks. And so when high school came around, I was a great high school football player. Again, athletics is a great cultural changer. Mm -hmm. And so I had a very great high school career. Um, people, I was the first black to play in the um, youth league 
first person to make all stars. And so my senior year, I was on television, newspapers, super successful. And then those same people that were yelling and screaming and yelling insults became my friends. So the people had made assumptions about you and they attacked you on those preconceived notions. And then they saw you in a light in which you were, you know, being lauded, being heroic, and they were able to approach you in a different kind of way. Correct. And so I became an ambassador for our community. And I never took race to a point that I would turn against people because I saw that in my own home. I saw hatred in my own home. And so I made a decision that wherever I went from that point in my life, and I went into Mississippi, and that was a whole other story for another moment. And then I went to Springfield, Missouri, which is a whole other, I mean, those are all stories, but I was equipped at an early age that when I came to Arkansas, I had already gone through training, cultural training, life training, life skills training, that love covers a multitude of things that people don't understand, and that love builds a bridge to prosperity personally, culturally, and introspectively, and that love conquers and creates a vacuum for success. Stay tuned for more on discipline after this commercial break. I'm Denisha Simpson. And I'm Joy McGowan. And And we we are are the the co-hosts to the the Resilient Black Women Podcast. Our podcast is all about demystifying mental health for black women, women of color, and women everywhere. You can learn more about our work with our nonprofit and our podcast by visiting resilientblackwomen.org. You can also listen to our podcast at KUAF.com or subscribe to our podcast on any streaming platform. Welcome back. That's impressive. And I'm also very thrilled by your decision to choose love because if your mom's actions of love inviting people to dinner attracted beatings from your dad, for me, I will interpret that to mean, you know what? Love is too hard. <laughs> if I love people, I'll be beating for it. I'm not, I'm not choosing love. <laughs> but your decision to choose love in spite of that is very impressive and I find that commendable. Yeah, I put that in the realm of people like Nelson Mandela, you know what I mean? I go back, I remember going to Robin Island and the people who were imprisoned for trying to change your societies are now the tour guides and talking to people and the the grace that they're able to extend, which is what Mr. Harris is saying, you know, that's incredible grace and, and, you know, that has to take something extra from, you know, from a higher power to, to be able to do. Now, Mr. Harris, if we could switch gears a little bit, um, you know, uh, in terms of your volunteer work, like, you know, can you tell us a little bit about the communities that you serve? What are the the kinds of work that you've been doing with your organization, A Level Up? Right. Well, um, I've got to draw back again from my mom. She was my super, she was my shero. (laughs) Um, As I shared with you, um, about her service. She was an absolute phenomenal person and she died at 41 years of age, which was way too soon. Um, whatever we didn't have in our community. So she went from being a recipient of goods and services and welfare and, 
to making a decision to follow Christ and really breaking out of that uh, realm of poverty to starting, um, we didn't have a, you know, uh, goodwill in our community. So she started Florida Perpetual Missions. Mm. She didn't, we didn't have um, a, a, a place for kids to get shoes. So she started the Vaughn Shoe Fund. Um, so I grew up with a life of service and servanthood, learning from my mom. And I felt like when she passed on, I tried to do everything else, but I had to receive the baton that was given to her and that now was given to me. So um, when I started a level up, it came through those same lenses of love and of practical work to help bridge the gap of fatherlessness, of life skills, of, of truly what it means to give back and not expecting anything in return. And so those are the kind of concrete blocks that were laid underneath me as a child and really became the guidepost for me currently right now. And so we give out toys to about 4,000 kids at Christmas time in this region and in the island of, of, uh, of Dominica. Um, and we'll, we'll be working with the island of bah the Bahamas. Um, we, we have a real clear sense of mission to give people hope. We do life skills training with students. Um, we do life coaching with students. We help them build a personal life plan. I've, I've actually made my own day planner that helps students understand vision, mission, and values. Um, I'm in the midst of writing a book about my own personal life. And um, we help rebuild communities through crisis response, helping communities have hope through organizing food drives like we did with you all, um, providing training and leadership training in communities that have been pulverized by storms and many disasters that come through um, just what happens has happened in our community in the last several years. Sometimes it implodes due to um, social things that happen. So we believe that we're helping to raise tomorrow's champions today. So we, you know, Mr. Harris, I met you a while back, I think when I was first came to Arkansas as a professor in 2013. And my friend Byron Winston um, told me about you and I invited you to speak to the students in my class and you came, but it was not until recently that we kind of connected and I felt so overjoyed that we were able to connect and to kind of forge this partnership between African African American Studies and Sankofa, which is our student RSO, and a level up to kind of help, um, you know, provide the kind of education, one, for the students, but also provide the much-needed services for these communities. All right. Well, I, it's, it's been privileged to be able to do so, and I'm grateful that we're able to connect. Yes. All right. So you need volunteers from time to time. Who are the people who tend to sign up to volunteer with you? Um, I, I feel one of the things that I really found out about Northwest Arkansas, there are a lot of people that just don't know where to serve. Yes. Yeah. Um, th th there are a lot of people on campus. There are a lot of sororities and uh, student organizations on campus that you kind of get lost in doing typical things, but really you don't dig into the fiber of the community and really see past, you know, a lot of the big charities that are on television. And then you may give, but you don't have a way to really get your hands dirty. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, what, we work with groups 
We work with churches. We work with other nonprofit groups. Um, and we provide, we do um, a crisis response. Like you did a food drive, which I was so grateful. And I want to highlight right now. I got a phone call from your organization, your student or your RSO. Yes, please tell the people about how this collaboration yes. came about. Yes, right. So collaborations come like this. I got a call saying, we know that you do crisis response. What if we did a food drive? Could we collaborate together? And we want to do all the work. And would you deliver the food? Do you have the contacts? And so we went through a couple of conversations to build kind of a common ground. And your student organization, COFI, went to work. Yes, so my students, I have to highlight the students in the Sankofa, RSO, the president, Anaya Beasley, and the vice president, Kenneth Clark. They did a phenomenal job, and they kept in contact with me, and um, you were in the midst of getting ready for your trip to Africa, but you still felt compelled to help. Um, And after the couple of conversations and the kind of timeline was built, um, we sent you a list of things to get, and man, your students and Kofi went absolutely uh, passionately full into putting together a great food drive. And then we are kind of a second wave organization when it comes to crisis response, which means after about 21 days, um, pretty much things kind of dissipate. People go back to work. But through our relationship with Kofi and the African American Studies program. We were able to have a second wave where we benefited um, two churches and organizations in Wynn, Arkansas, and then worked with the church and really did kind of a food match in Little Rock, which went very, very well. Both of those were were secondary efforts and received very well by the community. And I really, really appreciate Kofi and the student organization and your leadership. They did a great job and they helped pack the truck and we delivered it just as you packed it and it was well received. Yeah, I like the mention of the second wave of volunteers because usually when people see crisis and it's in the news, people are moved emotionally to act immediately. Mm-hmm. And by the time it's out of the news, people forget that they were real life and people have to go back to their lives. So that means that there were a lot of students' involvement in, their, in your in volunteer work. So we connect with volunteers through our website. We have a way to do that. So we stage opportunities through um, things that like Kofi and, and things that happen in our world. And then there may be specific things that we find within the organization that they may want to accomplish. Um, for instance, we may have um, a lady's yard, a, a, a widow uh, or a, a, a person who is in desperate need to have cleanup in their home. Um, they may be older. Um, They may need um, supplies, a single mother. We're able to come alongside them. We've done community cleanups to keep Arkansas beautiful. Um, We've done that where we've chosen a specific area to clean up. And we've had, you know, over a couple of hundred students that have cleaned up trash in community. So we've helped rebuild homes. We've had opportunities to go and people that have lost their home in disasters and we're able to come to help clean up the work site and to be hands and feet to to bring supplies to those families in need. So from that at Christmas time to disaster to helping make people's lives better that have gone through crisis, we helped a young person um, raise money who had gone through cancer. Uh, we collaborated with an organization to do that, to help raise money. Um, and so we 
have done various things to help either planned or through crisis to help people get back on their feet. And so we engage around teams and individuals that want to come to help around a common person to impact our community. That is so, um, that is so refreshing to hear. Um, you know, as I was saying earlier, you know, these things, you know, this is what African and African-American studies, what black studies, Africana studies bring, this added, added dimension to have a community to be a program that is within the university but is not off the university. We can be in the academy, but we cannot be totally off the academy, yeah. right? That this we have to remember that we're dealing with human beings at the mm. end of the day. And these alternative ways I, you know, asked my students the other day, right. You know, black ways of knowing black ways of beings that as black people or black communities, how we think about the world from our particular experiences that make us valuable to the spaces that we inhabit. Yeah. Yeah. That pain, yeah. that experience that you brought with you from St. Petersburg, um, that these students are bringing with them that pushes them to want to help communities. Can you tell us then why are these university community partnerships important from your perspective? You know, trying to integrate um, community, your community university concept, I think is such a powerful concept because most students really haven't engaged deeply in helping others because their life has been about really metamorphosizing themselves. Right. It's and about so, matriculating. It's about correct. getting your degree and, yeah. you know, tuition right. is high and you want to hurry up and make your A's right. and get a job. Your, your concept is one of the few that I've seen that is truly built on the authenticity of service. And I want to commend you on doing that. Um, part of this 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 benefit of servitude gives empathy, gives understanding, provides team building in a true sense of what it means to be a servant leader. And the community university concept that you have developed is unique and is extremely powerful. And I look forward to growing our relationship and the benefit the student is the fact that they get a stamp from our organization and we have a very, very good reputation in the community not only that, but businesses also serve through our organization. So they're looking for people that have served with us, that have gone through our training, that they want to connect with. So that, that, that next benefit of that is, who do you know, Ron, that we can employ that has the same kind of core values that you have, that you've been able to install, that you've been able to work with, as you've been able to share with them your story and then hear theirs, is there a student or a student athlete that we could interview for a job? So servitude is great and serendipitous for serving for the student and also opens up the roadway to prepare them for life. Training today's, tomorrow's leaders today. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I can speak to why companies will want somebody who has saved because saving signals to the company that you are somebody who is committed to some core value that if you come to the company, you'll be willing to go beyond just what your job description is and want to do things that achieve the overall vision or mission of whatever company organization you're working with. 
Absolutely. And we're looking for um, interns right now. We're looking for interns in um, community development. Mm -hmm. We're looking for uh, in TV production. We're looking for interns that would be willing to work in design and writing and script writing for us. And here's why that's important. The, our internship program that we hope to forge with the African-American Studies program, we can guarantee them a job, 100%. And what we found here in Northwest Arkansas, having gone through the vehicle of change in my mind and matriculating in the relationships that we have, about 90% of the businesses that are looking for people do not get resumes off Indeed. Mm -hmm. They get them through the relationships of people. References. <laughs> References. And so that's why we're, we're wanting to extend the opportunity now to bring some African-American students on with us to intern with us to help sharpen their skills, to help them learn servitude at the next level, and then helping them sculpt and really guide them in understanding what, how values play themselves out in the everyday workplace. Absolutely. And just to mention to our listeners, especially students, you know, in the university, this community um, framework is at work in our service learning programs, you know, where we often see pedagogy integrated academically with relevant service activities that are addressing these kinds of human and community needs that are forged into a course. Uh, we recently created a course called Historic Black Northwest Arkansas. That service is going to be a key part of that course as well. And we're going to be connected with the African, um, the Northwest Arkansas Af uh, Black Heritage Association. And of course, with people like um, Monique Jones and this um, Squire Jahagan um, outreach, which we've collaborated with, with before. And of course, with, with Mr. Ron Harris, because as I mentioned, African and African American studies, you know, our mission is to have students connect knowledge and theory to practice. Mm -hmm. Right. Combining that service and reflecting um, on that in a kind of structured learning environment or unstructured learning environment, but helping students to kind of, you know, come to terms with who they are, developing these core principles, um, giving them a space in which they can do the work that they want to do. And often, you know, we as um African-Americans and, and black people from various walk of, walks of life, we come into the academy knowing that we must do this work because we stand on the shoulders of great people exactly. who came before us, who carved out this space for us, people who have gone on before us, and we must do that work for creating the space for others who must come um, after us as well. So um, I am so grateful for you, Mr. Harris, to be you know, giving students this opportunity to, to not only learn, but also to step into the powerful human beings that they are meant to be um, by having this relationship with your organization. Well, you know, it, it has been a, a great uh, prayer of mine that our African-American students maybe um, don't understand the power of servitude and character development. Um, and then give them the insight from someone that is African-American that has come the distance, that has built a bridge to the community. And I'm going to leave you with this uh, thought process as I talked with my son yesterday after church. 
um, he was a little frustrated that he worked for an organization that trained other people but didn't train him very well. Mm. And he was upset about that. And so I said to him, well, son, what do you want to do with your life? Do you want to work for someone else? He said, no, I want to, I want to work for ESPN and I, I want to work. I want to have my own media company. I said, okay. So I'm getting ready to travel to the university of central Florida to speak to the football team next weekend. And so we agreed as a family and with my other cousins, uh, his other cousins that we're going to, uh, the Orlando Magic's game, and we're going to go to the University of Central Florida football game for Thanksgiving because Coach Malzahn is the coach there, and he's a friend of ours. But we're going to go behind the camera. We're going to go in the public relations part. We're going to use it as kind of a laboratory over Thanksgiving to help apply the principles and the values that they have and what they want to do in their lives in broadcasting. But what are the things behind the scenes of a football game, a college football game? What, what role do they play in reporting and journalism and production? And so we took a trip that was going to be a family vacation and took it into, made it more of an exploratory opportunity for them to learn. Mm -hmm. And so with that kind of a canvas, that's what we want to do here at the University of Arkansas. And I travel and speak all over the world. But what I'm finding is really needing more of the local partnerships to give these students as I travel, even for some of them to take trips alongside, to show them that there is an opportunity to learn and then there are other universities and other places and spaces where they could get jobs. They could become professors, companies that I could introduce them to, not just an internship just to come to the University of Arkansas, but to use that to say, where are you gonna do your master's work? Where are you gonna do your doctoral work? Who are people that we could connect you with both locally, nationally, and internationally? So. That one conversation from our son turned into a networking plan for me to go on a mission with the Orlando Magic and the University of, of Central Florida. So that's a little bit how we work. It starts with a plan, and with that plan, we, we kind of walk it out. Oh, my God. All right. Walk it out then. Um, <laughs> I really... I about to wrap it. Oh, yeah. Walk it out. I walk it out. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Mr. Harris. This was so amazing that you have provided just the best and most appropriate explanation for what we're trying to do in these kinds of partnerships. And I implore other people in the community and organizations who would like to partner with us in African and African-American studies to please reach out to us. You can reach out to us. Um, uh, you can contact me at cabenton at uart.edu or reach, us to, uh, reach out to us on our social media, uark underscore aast. You know, uh, but um, please reach out to us um, by whatever means. If you want to support our students who are doing this work in our Sankofa RSO, if you want to support the program. But thank you uh, for. Can yes. Mr. Harris share how people can contact him for internships? Sure. Yes, of course. Thank you. Um, yes, you can go to alevelup.org, alevelup.org. And all of my contact information is there. And I want to say this as a plug for the African-American Studies Program and COFI, their student organization. And you can use this in a sound bite. But I can tell you, I have never had, and I work with a lot of students, that would follow up, follow through, were extremely professional 
Um, so if there's another organization that wants to tap into their professionalism and the leadership, these students are unmatched in uh, their ability to meet deadlines and to follow through. And so I want to thank you that we were able to, because of the partnerships, we were able to help hundreds of people just for the fact that we connected and collaborated with your organization. Thank you for listening to another Riveting episode of Undisciplined. This episode was hosted by Dr. Karee Banton and my co-host Nenevi Tony. It was produced by Leah Grant. Undisciplined is a collaboration between African and African American Studies at the University of Arkansas and KUAF. It's available every other Wednesday at KUAF.com or on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow the African and African American Studies program and the Undisciplined podcast on our Instagram page at U-A-R-K underscore A-A-S-T or visit KUAF.com to listen to this and other episodes. If you like today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or anywhere you listen to your podcast and rate us. <laughs>